Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You need to understand the value you bring to the table. I think you need to know exactly what strategy you're going to bring to a particular approach to real estate and execute on that strategy. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool that'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. With us today, Yusuf Abudra. How you doing, Yusuf? Oh, I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Yusuf. He is the managing director of BENA Capital, a private equity real estate investment fund responsible for sourcing and execution of investments, raising fund capital, and investor relations. Investments are 100% equity-based and do not utilize any interest-bearing debt. Previously, he was an investment banker and consultant for 10 million to $1 billion businesses based in San Ramon, California. With that being said, Yusuf, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Happy to, Joe. So I started my career in financial consulting and doing economic damages analysis in the construction space, pharmaceuticals, and that for about four or five years with a global consulting firm. 
and moved on from there into mergers and acquisitions. That's really kind of what the foundation for Bennett Capital was. We worked with private equity firms. We worked with high net worth individuals. And all of those experiences, I think, really showed me that the true way to add value was to bring something to the table and to bring parties to the table where you, you can bring parties to the table where you have an ability to do things they wouldn't be able to do independently. And so we did that in M&A, and we did growth technology companies. And through that period, I would say through that five or six-year period, I was doing real estate investments on my own with friends and family and things like that. And what I really found was there was a need out there for folks who wanted to invest in real estate. They didn't really have the ability to buy the big-ticket item on their own, right, and especially since we were – starting out here in California, where prices are are higher overall, to put a fund together to start to do that. And so that's what I've done, and that's what I've been working on the last three years. Wow. What is economic damages analysis? It's one of those things where I don't want to put the uh, best ever (laughs) listeners to sleep. Uh, (laughs) But essentially, if there's a dispute on a construction project, for example, we would help the legal teams determine how much that dispute was and who is ultimately responsible for those damages. Got it. Okay. And who would hire you usually? What side of the transaction? In the construction world, we were mainly hired by the owners. And so the owners would be bringing a suit against the general contractor and subcontractors. And in other facets, we could be hired by either side. That clarifies what I was wondering. All right, let's talk about what you're doing now. You've got a private equity fund How much did you raise? We've raised a couple of million dollars now, and we're still tiny. And the way that I like to think of it is I want to do two things. I want to exceed the expectations of my investors, and I want to do deals that have some way to benefit the community. So one of the deals we did was in um, a university town in Merced, California, which is about a couple hours away from my office. And that was a 80% vacant property that was poorly managed, needed some work, and the niche that I've put together with Bennett Capital is that we don't use any debt. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will say, how can you invest in real estate and not use debt? That doesn't make any sense. And they said, well, it does make sense if you can do it in a way that gives you a competitive advantage. And so that's what we do. We go after these value-add projects that the investors can't do on their own because they're too complex. And it's harder for folks to obtain loans to execute on these projects because the banks want to see a lot of different things that slow them down. And so we're able to buy it at lower prices. We're able to do it cash and close quicker. And the sellers like that. That's really what our competitive advantage is. I love it. It's also interesting because of your investment banking background as a consultant. You said you're small now because you've only done a couple million, but It's so easy to get wrapped up in that mindset, and I have that same mindset now, but at the same time, I certainly didn't at the beginning, and a couple million dollars, that's a lot of money, regardless of where we're at, so congrats on the progress so far, and that's a very interesting differentiator where you don't work with any lenders, you just go all cash. Let's talk about the financials of that 80% vacant property. Can you tell us acquisition price, how much you put into it? Have you exited out of it, time frame, that sort of thing? Sure. My focus is, before I get into that one, I'll kind of tell you my focus. My focus is on the the properties that are around 200,000 to 2 million. And 
those exist in California. We're, we're also looking at a number of other areas. And the reason for that is because if it's a property that needs work, we have to be able to acquire it with cash. And then we also have to have cash available to do the renovation and get it leased up and have all those working capital costs covered. And so in that sweet spot, I say that's a little bit too difficult for individual investors to really have that much cash available that they're going to put into one project, right? And it's definitely too small for some of the larger institutional investors. And that's where I really like to play. And so for this particular deal in Merced, we bought it for a couple hundred thousand dollars and we put in about thirty or forty thousand dollars. Now this property didn't really need too much construction work done. It had some past and other issues, section one and two issues. But what was really working against this property was the fact that it was in a good neighborhood. It just had high vacancy. And so folks would go by, they dumped their trash there, it was an eyesore. The city wanted something done with it. And that's where we stepped in. And so within six weeks, we had all the units leased out. We had done all the work How that was required. Um, this one was five units. Okay. So we had one unit leased and we had the other four units vacant. And then we had them leased out within six weeks at above market rent. So I would say that that was a, a good win for us because when we acquired it, I told you a couple hundred thousand, put probably about 220 into it. And today it's worth 330 to 360. And we've owned it for 11 months. And so those are the types of plays where people will tell me you can't get high returns because you don't have debt and you don't have leverage. And I'll tell you, well, if we were to sell this property today, we'd have a return for the investor somewhere on the order of 40 to 50% or perhaps higher depending on closing costs. And so I never promise our investors returns that high, but I tell them it's likely given the approach that we're taking. You said you have a fund. So is it a blind pool or are you just doing a one-off money raising for particular deals? And that's a great question. We don't do blind pool funds yet. And I think the investors that I work with, they're mainly... They're mainly folks that like to really understand each deal. And I think over time, as we build up our track record over the next two, three, four years, I think a blind pool fund is the direction we're going to go. But I think that you have to really take the time to build that trust and that track record. And that's one of those long-term approaches to the business that you should take if you're trying to do syndication or you're you're trying to get into this field. Because I think you've really got to be in it for the longer haul to be successful. Okay. So when you said $2 million earlier, what does that number come from? Is that the total amount of money that you have invested in the deals right now? That's correct. Okay. That first one was 200000 What's the largest one where you've raised the most money for? Well, I will tell you, it's not closed yet, but we're working on it. And it's a significant step up. It is a $1.6 million deal. It's a 60-unit complex. It has 60% occupancy. It kind of fits our profile of high vacancy, needs some work. And so I'll tell you about this deal. This deal is one that we're in the process of, of closing on. It's got a lot of great investor interest because of the upside on it. Now, this property was bought for $4.5 million three years ago. And fortunately, the seller entered into a financing arrangement where her monthly payments around the order of $40,000 a month. And even the cash flow 
just the rental income from that property was having trouble covering that. Forget paying all the expenses and everything. So unfortunately, she quickly went under. The property went to receivership, and we've been negotiating for, I would say, the last couple months, and we're pretty much there. Now, this property, I would say, I take a very conservative approach to the numbers. And so this property will generate probably on the order of $200,000 a year in net income. And I think if you were to sell it where we could sell it at a 7 to 8% cap rate, we have some significant upside available in that property as well. Let's say $2.4 million. And so we need to put in 150000 into it. So if you say 1.6 plus 150, that's $1.75 million. And once we have it leased up, that'll be a $2.4 million property and perhaps higher. So these are the types of deals we go after. If you look at what we've done, that's kind of rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. Is that under contract right now? That's right. Okay. When did you go under contract? We just went this week. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And how long do you have to close? I've actually negotiated quite a bit of time to close on this. We have 60 days of due diligence and then another 30 days to close. Now, I don't think it will take us that long to do it, but I like to have that buffer in there because things go wrong during closing. And what type of earnest money do you have down for this deal? And did you have to do non-refundable? It sounds like if you were able to negotiate a 90-day, I bet you did not have to go non-refundable. But that's just my guess. That's right. We did refundable. And, and again, this property is distressed from the seller's point of view and from the trustee. And they want to have someone take it off their hands. And so I would say it's also in an area that is a good area but it could benefit from some economic growth. And I think that economic growth is on its way over the next three to four years. So I wouldn't normally be able to get away with those kinds of terms in California, for example, Mm -hmm. or even Dallas or Portland or any other market that's really kind of on fire right now. I would say if you can take advantage of those terms in a buyer's market, then definitely do it. No reason to hurry along when you don't have to. It's really market specific. Yep. So how much do you have down for earnest money? For earnest money, we put 1%. 1%, that's just standard what you do? It depends on the deal. If, for example, we're trying to compete against other buyers that are strong, we may put as much as 30 to 40% in earnest money just to get the seller's attention. But in a deal like this, we didn't need to do that, so I wouldn't risk that. Right. With your background, your background is in, it's more institutional, you're investment banker, consultant, but your business now is so reliant on construction management and actually seeing the business plan through. Who do you partner with, if anyone, and how do you approach that side of the business? Well, that's a fantastic question, actually, Joe, because that's a question that most investors never ask because they don't realize how important that is. So for me, there's two partners that I need to have. Even if the deal is fantastic, I will not close on the deal unless I have these two partners. And the first is a good property management company. If I don't have a firm that I can trust, that I have talked to the referral, that I've talked to the references, and I've talked to the tenants, um, and I don't get a good feel that they run a business that is fair and equitable and they treat the tenants like customers, we won't do a deal. 
even if we've got it under contract, even if we've spent money on it, if I can't find that property manager, then we won't do the deal. And the second thing is obviously the contractor, right? You've got to find somebody that you can rely on, you can trust, who has boots on the ground in that market. So during that 60-day due diligence period, for example, for this deal, I'm going to spend a lot of time on those two vendors, on the property manager and choosing and selecting a general contractor. And then the day we close, we already have a plan in place. From that day that we close, the contractor is on site, ready to go. And what that does is that limits the time we're sitting on the property and we're not getting revenue. So I would say that go through all the work to find a deal and you go through all the work to do the due diligence and eventually close. And now you've gotten to the starting line, right? And I think that's what sometimes people forget because they're exhausted by that point. But that's really the starting line. All the rest of the stuff was just getting ready for the race. Given your background, and I'm assuming, but correct me if I'm wrong, that your area of expertise is more in putting deals together, identifying opportunities, make sure the equity and the, I was about to say debt, but <laughs> there is no debt, making sure that the equity is lined up, etc. but not necessarily the actual contracting work. So figuring out you know, exactly what type of materials do we need, what is exactly the budget, is that a fair assumption? And then if so, I'm going to ask a follow-up question. That's a fair assumption. I'm not a contractor. And I could look at a building and say that's T111 siding, but that's about it. I rely on folks to help me through those types of things and cost estimation and all of that. What type of questions do you ask the contractors when you're doing the interview process? That's a great question. So what I'll do is obviously I'll have three or four bids. I'll go and walk the property with the contractors. If it's a contractor, it's an area that we're entering for the first time, and a lot of them are, then usually the first or second contractor kind of gets an easy pass because I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at yet. And I'll ask a lot of questions. I'll ask questions I know the answers to, really stupid questions. What kind of roof is that? Is this stucco? Really basic things, for example, right? And listen to how they respond. Because, first of all, if they blow you off, then you'll never know if you're getting a real answer from them. But, but secondly, they should take the time to explain. And the best contractors and the ones for me that get the job are the ones that say, you can do this or this or this. And these are the different prices. And this is why I would recommend one or the other. And I think those guys are really the business-minded guys that understand. You don't need to spend top dollar. You don't need to go on the cheap. In every situation, the middle ground may or may not be the right way to go. But as you're putting together the pieces of the project, you should be able to trust that your contractor is going to say, okay, you can go cheap here. You need to spend money here, for example, right? Let's say it's electrical or safety. You need to spend money here. Let's say you're painting a shed that you know you're going to tear down in a couple of years, right? The, the contractor should write step-by-step with you in the plan and then should be talking through those things with you. You guys are on the same page in this investment because they know that things are going to break and they know that you're going to need to call somebody and they want to be that one that you call. Now, this happens a lot of times when you are in markets that are a little hotter. The contractors don't give you the time of day. And in those cases, you should really think about not doing the deal. Because a lot of times you'll have a contractor, never forget, they are the friendliest when they're trying to sell you. And as soon as they get the deal, you know, they don't return calls or we've all had those experiences, right? So what you're really trying to do is you're really trying to test them before you award anything. And it takes time. 
to talk to people. Yusuf, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say you need to understand the value you bring to the table. I think you need to know exactly what strategy you're going to bring to a particular approach to real estate and execute on that strategy. What I see a lot of people do is I see a lot of people get excited about buying a property or their first multifamily or whatever it may be. And they think it's going to work out or they think they have a plan, but it's not really something that they've thought through and practiced. And so we all have to start somewhere and make as many mistakes as you can. And I think those are all great things to not be afraid of to make mistakes, but figure out a niche for yourself. You know, for us, it's no debt, for example. And then we'll, we, as a result, we need to focus on value-add properties. And so we become very good at that. I'd say for the listeners, pick a niche, pick a strategy, and go execute on that over and over again. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference. They want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. What's the best ever book you've read? Investing in Real Estate by Gary Eldred. What's the best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Definitely, it was learning to cold call. If I did not learn how to cold call, I would tell you the first 100 calls were the worst experience of my life. <laughs> but you quickly learn how to read people. What's the takeaway that you got from that experience as far as like how to read people on the phone? The secret to cold calling, in my opinion, is doing five to 10 minutes of research up front. You need to understand what motivates that person, what they're looking for, and you need to get to the point right away and you will get rejected. And so the rejections are great because the rejection is failure. And I think people avoid failure and they really shouldn't. How come? That's where you learn the most. You know, if I'm trying to offer you something and I'm calling out of the blue, we're not talking telemarketing sales, for example. We're talking, I'm trying to help you sell your business or I'm trying to offer you an opportunity, for example, and I get rejected over and over again. Well, then I quickly learn that in order to feed myself and my family, I've got to start to be successful. And when you're going through these deals and you come in second place over and over and over again, or you get a deal, and you don't make the money you thought you were going to make, right? You shouldn't give up. That just means you're learning. So dealing with that rejection and that failure, an amazing skill that you, that you should develop. I tell my wife and I tell myself, if I haven't failed three or four times today, then it wasn't a good day. So I think people should not be afraid to do that. Best ever deal you've done? 
one of our earliest deals before we got into multifamily. It was a single family. We acquired it and we put in $10,000, which was 1% to 2% of the purchase price. And it was worth over $100,000 more instantly because people are afraid of certain things. And we did our research. We called the city. We did a lot of work. We realized it was no big deal and made a lot of money on that deal. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I'm a big fan of when folks reach out to me on LinkedIn, when they have a question or a comment or something, I will always respond to them. Even if I don't know them, I'll always respond to them because I can appreciate that. If you're taking the initiative to reach out to a stranger, you do it in a polite way, something that's relevant to them. I always like to talk to those folks. And what's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Well, you know how I was telling you, you have to select the proper team. Mm -hmm. I made a big mistake not selecting the proper broker. We had an amazing deal. It was a six-unit complex. It was last year. It wasn't actually too far from my house. It was in the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, They were asking 900000 they needed to sell right away. And I offered $1.1 million. And I chose a broker that knew the area, but I hadn't worked with before. The broker got very sloppy. There were 20 bids. We were the best. We were the highest. The property sold for $1.1 million plus 10000 to a representative of the seller's agent. That property would have been worth $2.4 million with $100,000 of work. And so those are the deals that you cannot afford to lose out on because of poor team performance. So again, that's one of those failures that we made a mistake and we you know, will try not to do that again. Define got sloppy. What she was doing, and it was partially my fault as well, is she was advertising to the seller's agent that we could pay that and we could close on the terms that we outlined. Which In that deal, we said we would close within three weeks because we had the money lined up. We were ready to go. And I would say that the key issue and the key mistake that was made was that she did that far before the deadline. On a quick deal, it can be three or four days mm-hmm. rather than... I should have been very clear to instruct her that we're putting together this offer and we're going to submit it two minutes before the deadline. And that way it cannot be used as a counter against Mm -hmm. us with with another buyer. Right. Should give them something to think about at the very end versus to contemplate, then go back and forth and increase the terms for the deal for themselves. Exactly. I always struggle with rationale behind folks that submit an offer when they know that there's a set deadline. You know the deadline is Friday. Why would you submit your offer on a Monday? I always struggle with that. There may be some rationale behind it, but it's burned me more than it's helped me. Well, what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? My email address is yabudra, Y-A-B-U-D-R-A, at benacapital.com, B-E-N-A-capital.com. And my direct line is 408-421-8608. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Great. And best ever listeners, you can click on the link in the show notes page to benna-capital.com, which is in the notes page. With that being said, Yusuf, thanks so much for being on the show, educating me on economic damage analysis first, and then talking about how you're differentiating your company with no debt. That is a takeaway for every best ever listener, myself included, on the importance of differentiating ourselves in a crowded marketplace with you, no debt, and it's 100% equity. 
and also talking about how you work with contractors to screen them, how you'll ask questions you know the answers to, and you'll hear how they respond. Do they explain? Do they give you a couple options? And do they give their recommendation? So lots of great takeaways. Thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And thank you for all your work. You've been very successful, and at the same time, you've taken the time to do this show and educate people. I think that speaks volumes about you and your characters. Thank you. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.